Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. We're teaching through the biblical book of Daniel. And today we get to Daniel chapter 11, verses 29 through 35. Short passage, confusing passage, important passage. Our goal is to be able to, to figure out what does this mean and what is God saying to us through it. The pivotal passage in here is this one. Chapter 11, verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. The abomination that causes desolation. What is that? The abomination that causes desolation. Big words. What do they mean? Let's start with this. The abomination that causes desolation. Does that sound pleasant? No. Let's back up. Here's the context. Verse 21 says, He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure. Succeeded by a contemptible person. We did the history on this last time. Remember who this is. It's this guy. Antiochus Epiphanes IV. The biblical book of Daniel was written 2,500 years ago, chapter 11, when it hadn't happened yet. So it has happened by now. What was prophecy for them? Well, it's history now for us. So we got about three or four minutes of some pretty heavy history. Work with me. Hang in there. It's going someplace. Verse 25. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. Antiochus Epiphanes was the Seleucid king, and he was in the region of Syria to the north. The king of the south, that's Egypt, refers to Ptolemy VI. In 170 B.C., well, this prophecy was fulfilled. Antiochus Epiphanes IV invaded Egypt. Verse 25. It continues, the king of the south, that's Egypt will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. The south, Egypt, they lost. Antiochus Epiphanes, here's what he did. He looted Egypt and he took great wealth back with him, but he didn't stay in Egypt. Two years later, he led a second attack on Egypt. Verse 29. At the appointed time... He will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Here's what was going on. Rome was just beginning to emerge as a world power. And they aligned themselves with Egypt. So they demanded that Antiochus Epiphanes withdraw his army, get out of Egypt, or you are going to face the fury of Rome. 
Well, Antiochus Epiphanes, he knew he couldn't hang with Rome. He's overmatched. And so he removed his army. The prophecy continues. Verse 30. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. See, Rome was protecting Egypt. But the neighboring nation of Israel, the God's people in the Old Testament, they were very vulnerable. So Antiochus Epiphanes, here's what he did. He left Egypt and he sets his sights on Israel. So how's he going to do it? He's going to go after Israel. How's he going to attack them? Well, he did something a little different. He did something along the lines of this guy. Bears sleepy. Anybody feeling like that about now? So somebody here is thinking, Mike, you're getting me pretty close. <laughs> well, that bear, he's tired. He has a plan. He has a plan. One thing he's going to accomplish in the day. Here's his plan. His plan is to move just enough that the zookeeper will realize he's not dead. <laughs> it's his big plan. That's what's going on here in this passage. Antiochus Epiphanes, he's coming up with a plan. He wants to go after Israel, and he doesn't just march his army right into their land. He comes up with this cunning strategy to go after them. Here it is. Listen for his strategy. Verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Unusual. Have you ever heard in all of your life, have you ever heard of an invading army using that tactic? They didn't target Israel's water. They didn't target Israel's food supply. They didn't target Israel's military bases. Their target was Israel's temple. Well, why? What, what, what was their goal? Did you catch it? It's in here. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Now, I'm probably a lot like you. I read a passage like this in the Bible and I think, abolish the daily sacrifice? The daily sacrifice? So what? I mean, who cares? Why does this guy, this invading general, why does he care about their daily sacrifice? Why is their daily sacrifice, why is that a strategic military target? What's the big deal? Well, for us to understand that, first, we need to understand sacrifice in the ancient world. You ever open up the Old Testament? Seems kind of weird, kind of foreign to us. You ever open it up and you're like, man, there's an animal dying on just about every page. I mean, PETA members don't like the Old Testament. But be aware of this. It's not just the Israelites and it's not just the Old Testament. Animal sacrifice, this was the universal practice of the ancient world. All the ancient superpowers did this. Rome sacrificed animals. Egypt sacrificed animals. Greece sacrificed animals. You can study the ancient Chinese dynasties. They sacrificed animals. Or you can cross the ocean, go to the Americas. And what happens here? Well, the ancient Aztecs sacrificed animals. 
from the mass empires to the small nomadic tribes, most everyone in the ancient world sacrificed animals. From a historical perspective, the non-animal sacrificing civilizations today, we are actually the anomaly. So why? Why has this been the history of humanity for for so many generations? Why did they do it? Why did all of these ancient civilizations sacrifice animals? Well, for the most part, they did that to placate the gods. The things that were outside of their control in life, things like the weather and things like fertility and things like disease, they said, well, these are the domains of the gods. And so they sacrifice things because they want the gods on their side. They're like, let's make them happy. Let's give them food. Let's give them honor so that they'll be pleased with us and give us lots of good things. Well, Israel, one of the things we see is look into the Old Testament, their understanding of animal sacrifice, it was a little bit different than what was common in the ancient world. The focus that we see in the Old Testament was actually, it was on blood. Well, blood. We're like, ew, you know, ick, make some of us queasy. You know, when Grey's Anatomy does a, a close-up of a surgical procedure, does anybody need to look away? Well, blood, you know what it represents in the Old Testament? Might not be what you think it does. Blood in the Old Testament, it doesn't represent death. Blood in the Old Testament, well, it actually represents life. They connected blood with life. They realized Blood is essential to life. They didn't know all the science of it back then. We do now today. We understand that it's the cells in our blood that replenish our oxygen. It's the cells in our blood that fight disease and distribute nutrients to our bodies. Blood, it is life. See, the daily sacrifice reminded them of that. It reminded them every single day something must give its life in order to sustain my life. They recognize my life is literally dependent on receiving life from something outside of me every single day. Are you in tune with that rhythm of life? You know, I remember a crisis in, in the Van Rees household. My youngest daughter wasn't big on beef, but she really loved ham. And we had informed our older two kids about where meat comes from. But Lily, she was five at the time, so we hadn't gotten there with her yet. She asked me the question, just flat out. She said, Dad, where does ham come from? So I explained it to her. She had questions. She had a whole bunch of questions. She just started firing them off at me. She's like, well, how do they kill it? When do they kill it? Where do they kill it? I mean, where's the skin? Where's the blood? And then she asked this one. She said, what part of the pig is it? Do you know? Do you know what part of the pig ham is? (laughs) Well, I'll show you. (laughs) See, 
My son knew that. We'd had that conversation with him. So he just blurted out. He said, the bum. Ham comes from the bum. He said, Lily, you like to eat pig bummy. (laughs) Can you imagine the chaos? She refused to eat ham for at least a year. And then the only reason that she reconsidered it is because we convinced her we buy back ham, not bum ham. (laughs) Not our finest parenting moment. But here's the principle behind that, that we don't always recognize life, our life, requires sacrifice. No, we can become pretty oblivious to this reality. We go to the grocery store and it's really easy to buy meat. I mean, it's already been killed. It's already been skinned. It's already been cut. It's just sitting there on the cooler, nice and pretty in styrofoam and shrink wrap. I don't even have to think about when I look at that. I don't even have to think that life has been sacrificed. And vegetarians and vegans, you're not off the hook. This same principle applies. I mean, that grain of wheat needs to be beheaded from the stock. What does? And the fruit, it needs to be plucked from its life-giving branch. This is the way our world works. This is the way that God designed things. And it's important for us to be able to see maintaining my life necessitates the sacrifice of other life. Check this out. Picture family praying. You pray before a meal. It's a great habit. I hope that you do. Do you know where that origin of praying before a meal, you know where it comes from? It didn't originate by asking God to bless our food. It wasn't, hey, God, thanks for this food. Bless this food to my body. It wasn't that. Because that food, it's already there on the table. I'm already blessed. I got food. I got sacrifice right there in front of me. The purpose of the prayer wasn't to say, hey, God, bless this, but to recognize I've already been blessed. And so, God, I want to take this moment to thank you. I'd encourage you this week. You know, every time you have a prayer before a meal, go there. Use that as an opportunity. Remember, my life requires the sacrifice of life. God, thank you for providing for me. It's an important perspective. Well, Daniel continues. Verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. So Antiochus Epiphanes, his strategy, it wasn't to contaminate their water supply, but to get rid of the daily sacrifice and then to do this. 31 continues, they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. You knew we'd be getting back to that. What is that? What's the abomination that causes desolation? See, this was future for them, but it's history for us. This prophecy was fulfilled when Antiochus Epiphanes did this. He put an image of the Roman god Zeus in the Jerusalem temple, and then he took a pig, which he clearly knew they considered to be unclean, and he sacrificed that pig in the temple on the altar to Zeus. 
he intentionally defiled their most holy place. He turned their worship center. This guy turned the Holy of Holies into a temple for Zeus. That, that's the abomination. Here comes the desolation. Verse 32, with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Now, a few of the Israelites went along with Zeus worship, but for the most part, they did not. And they, they then had to abandon their temple, which had been defiled. So they had no place to worship God. They had no place to offer the sacrifices. They had no place to remember the daily sacrifice. The abomination of the temple led to the desolation of the temple. Do you understand that now? I hope so. So now here's what we can do. We can think, okay, now that I understand what that prophecy is about, God, what are you saying in this? Why that strategy? Why of all the things that they could have done, why would he target their worship? Why would he remove their worship? Why... Abolish the daily sacrifice. Here's why. To disconnect the people from the rhythm, from the power of sacrifice. Sacrifice reminded them, I'm not independent. I'm not autonomous. I'm not really self-made. I need, I need that chicken. I need that grain. I need that apple. I need something to sacrifice its life to sustain my life. I am dependent. When we forget about that, when we get disconnected from that reality and that rhythm of life, here's what happens. We become ungrateful and rather self-absorbed. You see, the enemy didn't just use that tactic back then. He still uses that tactic here and now today. Verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Our enemy is trying to well, he's trying to suspend our daily sacrifice to get us to focus on ourself. This is the world that we live in. I mean, we are constantly bombarded by messages of a self-absorbed culture. Indulge yourself. Fulfill yourself. Follow your feelings. Follow your heart. Pursue your pleasure because it's it's about you. And I'll say this, as I reflect on that message of our culture, there is certainly a part of me that is drawn to that, that's attracted to that. But I also, as I reflect on that, there's also a part of me when I see that, that realizes something's a little bit off with that. We know this, I think, intuitively. We know something's not quite right with that. Self-indulgent. Reality. Parents. You know, if you were to do that with your kid, 
If you were to give your kid everything they want, when they want it, how they want it, how is that going to turn out? You're going to end up with a kid that does something along the lines of this. Daddy, I said I wanted a blue car. Spoiled. Unhappy. According to the American Medical Association, depression in the United States has tripled in the span of one generation. Tripled. As we become more self-absorbed as a culture, we become more depressed as a culture. That's not a coincidence. There's a relationship between those two things. Marlon Seligman, he's a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, he claims this, it is because we've replaced faith and community with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of life's meaning, the self. We have revolved life around ourselves. Fulfill yourself, believe in yourself, express yourself, love yourself, stand up for yourself. What if? What if we aren't designed for self? What if we're doing this wrong? Hear these words of Jesus. Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Do you hear how that's connected with Daniel chapter 11? There's the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice. Jesus continues, verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will save it. Jesus taught that if you devote your life to pleasing yourself, you will be empty. Jesus taught that if you devote your life to pleasing yourself, you will destroy your soul. But if you follow His way, and His way is pretty obvious. Just look at how he lived when he was here. If you follow his way, it's the way of sacrifice and it's the way of self-denial and putting the needs of others above the needs of our own, you will experience a level of life. You will experience a depth of being beyond measure. That's what Jesus taught. Do we believe that? Here's what he said, Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Read the rest of this with me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So how about you? Did you do a a little self-inventory? How about sacrifice? Have you fallen into this world that's all about self-absorption and all about me? Has 
Antiochus Epiphanes abolished the daily sacrifice in your life. Are you making any sacrifice? What? How? For who? When was the last time that you made a sacrifice for someone else? Maybe an act of service or a choice to not argue or maybe a word of encouragement or maybe just the gift, a a gift to bless someone. When was the last time you made a sacrifice for God? Turn off social media and open up the Bible or to volunteer some time to serve or to follow a Holy Spirit prompting even when it's really uncomfortable. When Antiochus Epiphanes IV wanted to conquer these people of God, he didn't contaminate their water. He didn't take out their military bases. He simply did this. Verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. His big bad strategy to abolish the daily sacrifice, to disconnect them from the rhythm, from the power of sacrifice, because sacrifice reminds us every day, I am not independent. I am not autonomous. I am not self-made. I need. I need. And I have the power, I have the capacity to bless, to use my life, to bless somebody else. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.